Yeah, it was in 1976. I took a fellowship in microvascular surgery, and uh, most of that course was in Evansville, across the way from Louisville, Kentucky, the Indiana side. And uh, it occurred in a laboratory. And what we did was we learned how to do microvascular suturing with uh, jeweler's forceps and with 11-0 nylon and proline sutures. Those are the kind of sutures used for putting in corneas and stuff like that, very, very fine. And we had a true microscope, operating microscope, binocular uh, uh, microscope, and uh, 10-power magnification. So we would take the rat and we would transect the artery and the vein and then put clamps on it and connect it back together. In a one millimeter in diameter artery, I would put 11 stitches. And uh, at first, I thought I'd never do it. And after a week of training, I could do one in five minutes. Just, uh, just because the magnification was so good. Well, they had an instructor there who was their star because they were re-implanting everything, including fingers. Finger amputations are very common in some industrial states and what have you. And if their finger was intact, they would replant it, and that means they would have to do four veins per finger and two arteries per finger, uh, one on each side, two veins on each side and an artery, a bundle, as it were. And this guy, and I can't remember his name now, he was Chinese, and he was from mainland China, and he was extremely well-trained, a very talented surgeon, but somehow he, he, he had people issues. He didn't do well. And being on the faculty of the medical school, he uh, became their finger guy. And he could put together a finger completely with, with all uh, hookups in about 15, 20 minutes. He was incredible. His success rate was in the 90-plus percent range. And one of the interesting things I found out is that the veins are the problem in replants in that when they clot off, you lose the replant. But the arteries almost never clot off, so they're practically a non-issue. And in order to prevent that, they would put leeches on the finger in the early stage because the, the slow flow through the veins would cause the finger to swell and you didn't want that. That was not the So after three or four days, the leech would come off and everything would be fine. So the, so the leech would, would suck out the blood. blood, extra blood, extra fluid out of the finger. And prevent it from clotting. Right. Wow. Yeah. And you said that that's, that was a common practice in other surgeries? Yes. It's a common practice in... Uh, some conditions as well, deep venous thrombosis and stuff like that. Now, it's not commonly used because of our peculiar uh, thoughts about leeches. I don't, when I was in the Mekong Delta in Vietnam, I, I don't think uh, I exaggerate if I say I had leeches on me 50 times. And, uh, you know, we 
the good news, the greatest thing to get leeches off in Vietnam was the, uh, the mosquito repellent. Oh, yeah. You just put it on and they'd screw it. They'd be gone. <laughs> leeches were common. And some people would just freak out. They think it was crazy. Do, do the leeches carry disease? No. 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 So not at all. Not that bad, and you can use right. them for surgery. Right. Yeah. Did Did you ever have to um, connect fingers yourself? No. 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 I, the The reason I took the course was I thought it would help help me in my uh, bypass surgery, because just around that time we started doing what we call infragenicular bypasses from the femoral artery common femoral artery in the groin to below the knee. And uh, prior to that, nobody had done that. Uh, it was a guy named Bush, Harry Bush, at the Veterans Hospital in Boston who developed the technique. And he would uh, go down to the tibial vessels all the way down to the dorsalis pedis artery of the foot. Now, at that level, there were two millimeters and two millimeters is pretty small to put a, a saphenous vein graft on. Uh, later, we developed a technique where we would not remove the saphenous vein, but leave it in situ and uh, just go down and take all the tributaries to it and tie them off. And then we'd have a special instrument called a valvulotome, which we would insert retrograde and rupture the valves. And then you had a conduit that was in its own position, but matched so much easier any infragenicular vessel you wanted to bypass to. Plus, at that level, the selfless vein was much smaller, so your size compatibility with the recipient artery and the, and the donor vein was more, much more uh, easily uh, matched and saved you a fair amount of work. Because if you reverse the vein, obviously the saphenous vein on the groin is the thickness of your thumb, whereas uh, down below it's made not even as big as your pinky, so it made it uh, 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 more technically effective and efficient. So in layman's terms, in case that went over um, anyone's head, you're, you said the donor vein, so you're taking a small vein from the leg no, well, no, you're taking the saphenous like, vein as a donor, but you're leaving it in situ. But then you're going to be using that in the heart? No, that's the bypass? different. That, no. That's different. Okay. I was the, it, those you have to harvest and replant because you have to put it in the aorta, the proximal aorta, and then into the coronary. Now, the other thing that came up in heart surgery that was a real, real... Uh, revolutionary thing was using the left internal mammary artery which comes off the subclavian artery mobilizing that and then using an arterial bypass to the coronary and you could usually a good surgeon could do two hookups to that one artery some have even done more they would sling uh, they would do side by side side to side anastomosis to even full coronary arteries with that thing, artery. And what the artery, of course, does, it grows. It physically grows because it's in its own environment because there's so little resistance to coronary artery. The flow rates get so high. The higher the flow rates, it'll grow. Wow. 
and the patency, most vein grafts fail by about 12 years in the heart. Uh, basically, uh, mammary artery, if it stays open six months, will not fail. So because you're you're harvesting it from near the location where it's originally designed exactly. to function. Yeah, and actually longer. it stays in most of its location. The only thing that you do is you clip the tributaries so there won't be any steel uh, and all the blood will flow directly into the anastomosis to the coronary. Oh man, so I have a question. So that's like way over my head. Um, it's like a little bit um, <laughs> overwhelming, <laughs> but um, what, uh, some simpler question what was uh like let's say one of the longest and most difficult surgeries you had to do well i, I mean uh i don't trauma uh, trauma surgeries i had to do one of the most difficult ones was during the boston gang wars i was still in training i wasn't fully trained yet but i was a senior resident and this guy came in with 17 Thompson submachine gun bullets. And I had to <clears throat> take out his left lower lobe of the lung because that was whacked up. I had to do a distal pancreatectomy because he hit the pancreas. I had to do a partial. I was able to save most of his kidney. I had to do like six small bowel resections. And then he, uh, the orthopedic guy had to come in and put a rod through his femur because that had been shattered. So that took me 16 hours totally. Wow. And what... Um, and the guy lived. He lived. I mean, it was a to totally worthless scum of a human <laughs> being and uh, mafiosa, you know. But, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, actually, he wasn't... A, it was a mafia guy. Vincent Fleming was his name. Yeah, he's still in the can. But they had they had to take him away from Norfolk Prison because he caused so much trouble, and they sent him up to Walla Walla, Washington, federal penitentiary. Wow, that's where you did the surgery? No, no I did the, did it. it was still in Boston. Boston. Norfolk is a suburb of Boston. Okay. Wow. So, and those... That Boston gang warfare did or war was in the seventh in the sixties, sixth in the sixties. It was between the Italian mafia and the Irish mafia. Okay, and, uh, we'd have gunshot wounds every night. And, uh, and so you, you treated a lot of gunshot patients. Oh man, I tell you, I treated more gunshot patients at the Boston City than I did in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> And and what was uh, um, your your most difficult case you think you had in Vietnam or memorable? Well, I think the most memorable one was uh, one of my own medics uh, who got uh, doing an, an ambush. They were ambushed when the uh, riverine, we were on these LSTs. They dropped the ramp down and the platoon, one platoon, soldiers would get off and then hit the beach and then uh, invade into the jungle. Well, they were compromised and they dropped the ramp in front of a 50 caliber machine gun. And uh, there were 38 guys on the boat, eight survived. And one of the survivors was my medic. 
and uh, basically he had one arm shot off. He had uh, multiple, multiple gunshot wounds of his leg, legs, and then he had one in his chest, and that was just horrible. And I, I saved him, and I was able to get a chest tube in, drain his chest, and we did have blood, and so I was able to transfuse him. I used to open up, if there was an arm that was there, I'd open up uh, right in the elbow crease, and get the cephalic vein, which is a big vein. And I take not not a catheter, but the IV tubing, which is much thicker, and I'd slide that in there and tie it in place, so I could give him a liter of fluid in 20 seconds, and that made a difference because you need to re restore their hemodynamic balance. Once I got these guys on the chopper, I had a PSP steel plate, 12 by 12 foot, welded on top of my LST landing craft, and a Huey could land on there and take eight wounded. And uh, that's what we do. Once I got him into the helo, 95% survival. Because it, it was just a 45-minute uh, flight to Saigon, to the field hospital for the real tough ones, and uh, Long Ben and Benoit had hospitals too that they were closer even. Wow. Um, so the the biggest risk while you were doing surgery in the field was bleeding to death? Yeah. Low blood pressure? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I had a, I'll tell you, an experience that was, <laughs> I don't know, to this day I understand why the hell they gave me the medal, but one of my medics was treating a guy who had a piece of shrap shrapnel in the back of his knee and he couldn't stop the bleeding. And, you know, they're taught to use tourniquets as a last resort. So I said, put a tourniquet on him this time, just above the bleeding point, and I'll come over. I'll come over. It'll take me, I don't know, it was 200 yards, 250 yards from my boat to jump across a rice stake, a rice paddy, and go to the next one. So I'm going, you know, I'm taking my bag and I'm running, I'm going up to the rice dike and the guys are saying, the waving, don't come, don't come. And I just went straight to the rice paddy and I detonated a mine. And uh, the detonation came in such a way that most of it blew in the opposite direction and I wasn't affected. I just ran up and took care of the guy and he had a chunk of uh, mortar fragment right in this popliteal artery and vein. And unless I took that out, that bleeding was never going to stop. So I yanked it out, and I had two uh, small baby baby mosquito clamps, not even vascular clamps, but I was able to put them on the artery above and below, packed them with gauze real bad, immobilized his leg, turned the tourniquet off, off he went. And this is a guy the chopper picked up directly from the field. And he lived. And here's the greatest story. He's still alive today. <laughs> yeah, and his, his name was Money, M-O-N-E-Y. And he stayed in the Army and retired as a lieutenant general. Wow. Do, do you still have contact with him? Yes, uh, two years ago. So last time I saw him at a reunion, 
and he was retired, but he wore his uniform, and the guy was, he was a general, you know. Not an ounce of fat on everything lined up, polished, shoes, everything. Wow. It's lucky to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Where was the, where was the um, you said it was lodged into, was that? Some... Behind the knee behind the is defense. your popliteal artery. Popliteal. Yeah. And it's directly behind the knee. If you put your fingers behind the knee and bring them together and push, you'll feel the pulse. Damn, that or that. <laughs> I had another guy. <laughs> and uh, he got a chest wound. And uh, the chest wound was in just below the right clavicle. There's a hole in there. And he was bleeding to death. Absolutely bleeding. That is, I put a chest tube in him, and there's no way I could keep up with that, not it. And so I gave him, intubated him with a breathing tube, and uh, I uh, gave him, believe it or not, 20 milligrams of morphine intravenously. I mean, he was out. He didn't feel any pain or anything else, but because we're breathing for him. And by the way, what kills you with morphine overdose is that you can't breathe because your drive, respiratory drive is gone. So if you breathe for somebody, you can give them all the morphine they want, and they'll survive. And then I opened his chest big enough to put my hand in it, and I sort of knew it was coming either from the subclavian vein or from the, from the right atrial appendage. It was in that area, and I put a towel in there, in my fist, held it, put the guy on the chopper, and flew him to Saigon, and called the chess team at the Third Field Hospital. And I said, be ready. I'm going to have to keep my hand in his chest, or it'll just bleed to death. So they were ready. They grabbed him. I went with in the operating room, there was a colonel, full bird colonel, thoracic surgeon, cardiothoracic surgeon, and uh, he said, when I give you the sign, you can take your hand out. Took my hand out. In 40 seconds, he had a vascular clamp on the left atrial appendage where the bleeding was coming from. Clapped it. It was all over. It was fun. It was done. That was good coordination. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that was something. But they gave me the silver star for for the knee injury because I detonated. <laughs> Nothing happened to me. I could have lost a leg or everything. Could have, should have, would have. I mean, you know, I, I never, never thought of it. I didn't feel, you know. I did my job, that's all. We were stuffed on it. Did you feel it? No, 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 I did I, I heard the bang, yeah. and I heard the bang, and I felt it. I felt that there was quite a flash, but apparently the, the, the most of it went uh, in the opposite direction from me, and I just kept going. What time is it? I well, thank, thank you very much, Dr. Filter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, that's it for now. Okay. Okay, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>